like Kate said already, I'm not from around, I'm from Germany. Um, my voice may have given it away to some of you. <laughs> and um, as a German, I came here to America as a missionary. And I've uh, been two years in England on schools ministry, and then I came here to America and started to help with the church plant here in Viridian. And then I also help with the same organization um, in the background a lot. And um, what I noticed is going all around the world is there are different cultures, right? People think differently, people behave differently, people have different values, mindsets. And you might even notice that if, if you go to New York or California, people will think differently than you, right? Like, have, have you guys noticed that? That people sometimes behave differently, have different mindsets. And this is all over the world uh, like that, that different places, people have different types of cultures and, um, and different mindsets. And something that I noticed is... Um, growing up is actually there are different behaviors that are happening in the same place that I've been. And all the people around seem to kind of adopt one type of behavior, but then if I go to church or if I um, am in the presence of God, I feel that there's a different type of behavior, a different mindset, different value set, uh, a different culture, which I would be able to identify now than it was back then. And um, I noticed this culture is very, very different. So today I want to show you and um, three things that I found are really different in the culture of the kingdom of God to the culture of this world. Do you think this is a uh, this is fun uh, exploration today? <laughs> okay, let me start with a prayer. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your word. I pray that you speak through me right now and that you show us um, what is different in your kingdom than that is different to this world and what we can learn from it and how we can deal with that since we are kind of almost like in the middle caught between both of those cultures and um, yeah, what you want to teach us and uh, through this. So I pray that you speak to every single one of us personally um, right now in your holy name. Amen. So these three things that are different, or sometimes even weird for the people in the world, um, I, I gave them little names, okay? The first thing is the coins, and I'll explain what it means in a second. The second thing that is weird um, and different is the courtroom, and the third thing is a point of convergence, okay? So these are all really weird names. I'll explain what they mean. The first thing is the coin. Let me explain a story from Matthew 25, 14 to 29. By the way, if you, I'm referencing quite a lot of different scriptures today. If you want to, at some point, even later, um, look them up, you can go to the website, gatheringmedia.com, outdoor services. At the very bottom, there I uh, wrote down all the Bible scriptures that I'm referencing, and then you can have a look later. But Matthew 25 tells the story of a master that goes on a long trip. And this master uh, gets his servants together, and he each entrusts, entrusts a certain amount of money. Some translations say they, he entrusts them with talents. Some translations say um, with bags of silver. The first servant, he gives five bags of silver, or five talents. The second servant, he gives two. And the last servant, he gives one bag of silver. And then he goes on this long trip, and the Bible says, after a long, long time, he comes back and then asks what they have done with the money. So he goes to the first servant and asks him, I've given you five bags. What, do you have, done? what have you done with it? And the servant says, Master, you've given me five bags of silver. I've, I've invested it and made five more bags. 
So now he has 10 bags. Here's your money. And the master says, what a good and faithful servant. Come and celebrate with me together. Then he goes to the second servant and asks the same question. What have you done with the bags? Master, I've, you've given me two bags of silver. I've invested them and gotten two more bags. So now he has four. And he says, here's your money. And the master says, what a good and faithful servant. Come and celebrate with me together. Then he goes to the last servant. And the last servant has done something different. He asks, what have you done with the, with the money that I've given you? And the last servant says, Master, I've been afraid of you. You're a cruel and harsh man. You reap where you haven't sown. So I hid the money so I wouldn't lose it. Here's your money back. And the master gets upset about it and says, what a wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown, why haven't you at least put it to the bank? I would have gotten some interest out of it. And then he gives that last bag from that servant to the first servant with 10 bags. And it finishes with a, uh, with a morale, like the little things that you have been given, if you use it well, more will be given to you. If you use it not as well, the little things that you've been given will be taken from you as well. I find this story interesting because it talks about little things, but if you actually look what a talent is, a talent is 15 years worth of income. If a normal worker would work for 15 years, that's called a talent in that time. And he's given one servant five, another two, and then the last servant one talent. That's 15, 30, and 75 years of income that he has given these servants. That's not a little. <laughs> At least in my mind, it's not a little. It's a whole lot that the master have, has entrusted them. And something that I notice is all around the Bible is the bags, like the resources, the abilities, the strength comes always from God. The first thing that's different is the coin or the strength, the ability, because in this world, this world tries to tell us we have to come up with our own strength. We have to work hard to get our, uh, get our resources. We have to work hard. But ultimately, the Bible says, no, it's all from God. It all comes from the master. Because these servants probably had nothing beforehand. And suddenly they've been entrusted with so much money to deal with. It all came from the master and not from themselves. Colossians 1 verse 11 says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. It says all his glorious power. Not our glorious power, his glorious power. In First Chronicles 29, it says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hands. All throughout the scripture, we see it always comes from God. All the strengths, all the abilities, all the resources always come from God, which is so backwards in the culture. Like, would you agree? Like, this culture, like... It mostly is from our own strength, from our own effort. But the Bible says, no, it comes all from God. And this is strange. This is weird for the people. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I love the story about Moses because God asked Moses to go and deliver his people. 
And uh, Moses is arguing with him. He says, but what, what if they ask this? But what if this? But what that? And he finishes off with saying, but God, I cannot speak. I stumble over my own words. I cannot speak. And God answers, I think this is a great answer, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Is it not I, the Lord? He ultimately takes that focus away from Moses' inability and says that God is able and that God has given him everything that he needs. And yet, because Moses still wouldn't quit, like God sends him his brother Aaron, so that Moses would finally shut up <laughs> about it and finally do what he was told to do. But we see throughout all scripture, it always, all of our strength always comes from God, which is so backwards. The world says because... Uh, wait... Sorry. <laughs> um, the world says you need to be able to do it alone. But God says, I'm always with you. First, uh, Joshua 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We never have to be alone. And Psalm 46 says, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present, uh, uh, present help in trouble. God is always with us, even if we don't see it. So the coin is the image for our strength, for our resources, for our abilities. And in this world, this world says our, the coin comes from us. But the Bible says the coin comes ultimately from God. That's the first thing that is different in the kingdom of God. The second thing is the courtroom. What's happening in the courtroom? Let me tell you the, uh, the story and all of you are probably aware of it, it's the story of Jesus going towards, towards the crucifixion. And he, it's this long narrative that happens, like multiple chapters in, um, in all of the Gospels. And Matthew, like it's, uh, I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm referencing here Matthew. And it first starts with Jesus going into um, Jerusalem, entering Jerusalem, and everybody's celebrating him. Yeah, the king of the Jews, and they have the palm trees and everything, and they celebrate him, and then he celebrates Passover with his friends, and there's the first bomb that he drops. It's like, you'll, you're like, some of you will betray me. Ultimately, all of him in some way betrayed him in that sense that's because nobody stood up for him, but he calls a couple of people out specifically. Then he goes to the garden, where he was weeping because he cannot bear what is going to happen. And then the soldiers come and take him to Pilate for him to go on trial. He doesn't defend himself on that trial. And then now, the reference that I want to make in Matthew 27, he stands in front of the crowd, Pilate next to him. And Pilate has a difficult decision to make because the people want him dead. But Pilate knows he's not guilty. Right, Pilate is a Roman um, governor who had the responsibility for Jesus uh, in that moment. And after Roman law, he has done nothing wrong and he shouldn't be crucified. He shouldn't be put to death. He has done nothing wrong. So Pilate, what he does is he uh, uses the opportunity because it's Passover and um, the Romans had this deal with the, uh, with the Jews that they said, it's probably to, to kind of keep peace between Israel and Rome, but they had this deal saying, um, during Passover, we'll release a prisoner. So Pilate thinks, okay, I can hopefully release Jesus if I do that uh, very uh, in a good way. So he has Jesus, and then he takes a man called Barabbas. 
and he's also referred in Mark uh, 15. Um, he takes this man called Barabbas, and Barabbas, Barabbas is, we don't know a lot about him, but he's kind of been depicted as this cruel guy, this murderer. He has been against the empire, has been doing uprisings and stuff, so an awful person in the eyes of the government. And he says, okay, who do you want me to set free this year? I know we have this celebration, the Passover celebration, so we want to set somebody free. Should we set free Jesus, who has done nothing, who is the king of the Jews, or should we set free Barabbas, the murderer? And the people shouted, give us Barabbas. The people shouted, give us Barabbas. Pilate repeats himself one more time. Who do you want? And the people shout, give us Barabbas. Note that Jesus the whole time could have stopped that somehow. Like he could have, he could have gone away. Like during the trial, he could have defended himself and Pilate would have needed to let him go. With all of the power of God that Jesus had, he could have at any time stopped all of this, but he decides to be quiet and let this happen. And I notice, in, like me personally, that's not fair, right? In our mind, this is not fair. Barabbas is the one that should have died. But instead, Barabbas has now been set free, and Jesus is the one that dies. Jesus has done nothing. And in our mindset, in this world, we know you get what you deserve, Jesus doesn't deserve this. Barabbas does. Jesus doesn't. So I noticed that uh, like from the mindset of this world, Barabbas, it just doesn't make sense. But Jesus lets it happen. You know what? Barabbas, that's you and me. Jesus took our place for the time that we couldn't do it. For, like, because in the kingdom of God, any small misstep means that we are not connected to God anymore and that we are punished for death. That's what, that's what Adam and Eve's punishment should have been, is death. But Jesus took that punishment. Jesus ultimately said, I know he deserves it, but I'm going to take it instead. And that's the picture of what's happening for all of us. So that's the second thing that's really weird about the kingdom of God, is you don't always get what you deserve. Actually, he takes what we deserved. Right? He takes what we deserved. Um, this world says you have to bear it all alone. The kingdom of God says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. This world says you're defined by what you do. The kingdom of God says you're defined by what he did. And we are being called um, citizens and members of, his, of the household of God, co-heirs in Christ. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, what a great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God because of what Jesus has done for us. It hasn't been our own abilities or what we have done. We could have never fixed it, but it was God. So again, this is this really backwards thing that we see. In this world, we should have, from this world's perspective, we should have received all of the punishment. But from the kingdom's perspective, from God, nah, he wants to take it. He's the judge that said, you need to be put to death, but you know what? I'll take it instead. These are two things that are really weird and really backwards in the kingdom of God compared to this world. And the last thing I call the point of convergence. And I, the point of convergence, um, I've just given a fancy name, it's like where the point where all the lines meet, right? The focus point. 
because we don't need to work on our own strength anymore, because we don't have to work anymore that we, uh, for our values and that we are um, defined, because we are defined by God now, we don't have to do it ourselves anymore. Because all of this, because we are not alone, that means we can f change what point we focus on in our lives. Matthew 6, verse 33 says it really clear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. It says seek first, not seek second, not seek third. It says seek first, which is, again, completely backwards. Like, just think about from the school, from the moment you go to school, it's all about your efforts, the grades that you earn, right? So that you can la later go to college, then you need to work hard there as well. Then you go from college and you can go to um, have a, a good job, can earn a lot of money so that you have a good career, you can build a, a stable and healthy family. All of this is our own efforts. But the Bible says, before any of that, put the kingdom of God. That doesn't make sense for us, right? We feel like, deeply inside, we feel like, I need to look after myself first. But the Bible challenges us to say, no. <laughs> Seek God first, and you know what? God will look after us. The Matthew 6, it talks about with how the birds are being fed and how the flowers have been clothed, how much more will God look after us than these birds and the flowers? It doesn't make sense to us, but God challenges us to do it. This world says, do only things that bring your life forward. God says, do things without expecting anything in return. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Barabbas, you know what? I don't know if he turned to Jesus. He might not have. Jesus died in his place, but Barabbas might not have been saved at the end because Barabbas might not have accepted this gift. Jesus did it anyway. Jesus did it anyway for every single person of this world so that we have the choice. If it would be up to us if he died on the cross or not, he probably wouldn't have. But it wasn't up to us. It was up to him. In Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers and sends them to the temple to get them checked out. Only one of them comes back and Jesus asks, where are the other nine? Weren't there 10 before? It doesn't matter. He healed them anyway. This world says, always, focus, uh, always work on yourself. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on me. This world says we need to compare and to compete against one another. God says we are one body with different strengths. We need to work together for the glory of God. And in Acts, all of the, all of the first church, they came together and shared everything and they had no lack. Because it isn't about comparing and competing in God's kingdom. So these are the three things or three things that I noticed that are really, really different between this world and the kingdom of God. The source of our strength, where does our strength come from, which I symbolized with the coin. How does the, how does the um, courtroom work? That's number two. Um, because God died for us 
and he took what we deserved. And because of that, the number three, the point of convergence, what does it mean for us? How, what can we focus on now? And it's interesting, Dave yesterday in the Bible study said something really fitting, and I really liked it, the serpent in the very beginning. God has made us in his image, right? And the serpent said, you need to eat this fruit so you are like God. It's this little lie that we believed ever since. We need to do something to be like God. It's this little lie that has been infecting us ever since that we need to do something to be like God. God says no. And Jesus, as a proof, died for us so that we can find our identity in him. And we, we still work, right? The kingdom of God Lord, is all about work, but it's work out of the strength, not for the strength. It is out, uh, work out of the identity, not for the identity. So I want to leave you with this little challenge. What does it mean for us? Back to the coins, uh, back to the parable of the talents in the beginning. God has given us something. God has given us this amazing gift. Are we going to use it and multiply it, or are we going to hide it in the ground and waste it? God has given us the ability to choose, and I think it's an amazing privilege. Amazing, like it's an amazing gift that we don't have to have this pressure anymore. That it's not all about our own strength. It's all about his strength. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you so much for all the strength that you've given us. And I pray that you'll help us every single day to just focus on you. That you help us every single day to follow you and seek you first in our lives. Um, that you show us the strength that you've given us and that you keep helping us with everything. We know we don't have to be alone. We don't have to do it alone which is absolutely amazing. So let us help us focus on you and what you have for this world. In your holy name I pray. Amen.